Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother. This is Eat and Drink with Ali Hassan and Marco Timpano. The podcast where back of house Ali and front of house Marco talk food and drink. Heads up. These two spent decades in restaurants, so some mature content and language is bound to come up. Get ready for Eat and Drink. Forks up. All right, this is Eat and Drink. We told you about this episode. The episode is here. I'm Marco Timpano. I've been, uh, I've been, yeah, and I'm Ali Hassan. Too excited, too excited, just jumping yeah. in there. I've been uh, singing the praises of Calgary for uh, for quite some time, and a big part of the reason is on the show with us today. We have our uh, our main man, Chef Adam Ryan, is uh, is on the show with us as our guest. Adam, how are you, bud? Great, sunny day in Calgary. Cowtown, baby. Cowtown, baby. <laughs> Who are you, man? Who are you? <laughs> trying to pretend like, trying to pretend like you belong in Calgary. Good for you. Good for you. It's important to act like uh, you're comfortable where you are in life. I, uh, I'll tell you that I met Adam Ryan uh, a number of years ago at an event called Cuisine Art. Cuisine Art is a um, an art and and food, as the name suggests, uh, event. It's not, and one of the events. Yeah, tell me. It's not that it's not the Cuisinart that you know uh, chops shit up, right? No, then I would have said it's the it's the thing that chops shit up, Marco. Okay, yeah. as I said, cuisine art is an event that um, that brings together food and art, and and one of the events was a a, a, a food challenge. I, do you remember what that was, Adam? Do you remember what the yeah? What the I mean, you were cooking with it was a it was a black box event. Um, I remember they had a lot of local sponsors. There was Woolwich Dairy involved, um, some local produce, some local chicken, I think. Um, and I don't remember much more about it other than that. I think that um, I think you were I made wasted a, in the middle of the day. Yeah, well, you can't, you can't, you can't uh, cook without drinking. That's for sure. Uh, but I think we made a goat cheese and raspberry ice cream at that event yeah. um, with like a barbecued chicken of some, some in some capacity. What I remember most about that event, I think you were you were uh, competing against a, a fully grown man, an, an older gentleman of some kind, and uh, I you know I welcomed that chef, and then I I didn't even know Adam, but but you looked so young, you still look young, but you've gone ahead and and lost some hair on purpose, I'm sure. To, <laughs> I want uh, to look to more like you, age, but you have this really boyish face, and I remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, there's still some work to be done in the back. You got to shave it all off, bud. And uh, now's a good time. A pandemic's a great time to take the clippers to your head. Yeah. Um, but I remember saying, um, you know, and, and please welcome uh, Adam Ryan, who was kind enough to skateboard over here after uh, after cutting class. Uh, uh, the tenth grade's not that important. You're here, you know, something like that. And I remember Im- immediately Adam looking at me like. What a prick. But then you know, through, <laughs> through as the day went on, he invited uh, my wife and I to his restaurant in Orangeville. And I got to experience the, um, well, the creativity and the work ethic and the insanity of, uh, of Adam Ryan all at once. Yeah, I think what I remember about that night, too, is you, I think you ordered a medium well beef sirloin. No, 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 my wife, no, my wife, <laughs> one of you did. <laughs> oh, man. If Ali ordered a medium well, no. If anybody did, it was my wife for sure. But I thought we got the tasting menu for you from you actually. So you just you just said, "Is there anything you don't eat?" And my wife was like, "Pork." 
And I was like, there's nothing. And then this stuff just kept coming and it never stopped. And my wife was like, how many more courses are there? And I'm like, I don't know. It's rude to ask. Just keep yeah. digging in. Just throw yeah, at the no, scale, hide the scale afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Medium well sirloin with somebody else. But but my wife <laughs> is very capable of doing that. Less so now, but back then for sure. But that well, was a listen, good time, man. That was uh what was it? so Orangeville. I want to just get back to the you are you from Orangeville originally? Those are your roots? No, I'm from Mississauga. You're from Mississauga, that's right. And I do know that. But you found your way up. How did you find your way up into uh, uh, a place an hour north of uh, Toronto? Uh we moved up there when I was in high school and it okay, just stuck okay. stuck, stuck, stuck okay. it out. So yeah. Uh, can I just say for our listeners who didn't go to Moola Next or Cuisinart or whatever, we have Chef Adam Ryan on with us. And while this walk down memory sirloin <laughs> lane has been quite fun, I want to mention to our listeners, we have this awesome chef who was from Mississauga, Ontario, and is now living in Calgary, Alberta, and doing wild and crazy things. Is that safe to say, Ali? Yeah, yeah, that's definitely safe to say. I thought we were going to build to that, huh? Yeah. I, you just, uh, yeah. But okay. So this is what I want people to understand about Adam Ryan is that uh, you don't do anything normal. You don't do like a five course tasting menu with stuff that we've all heard of and seen. It's like a 19 course tasting menu and it's madness. It's madness. And your work ethic is ridiculous. And I just, does it have anything to do with being like not hugged as a child or what drives you to work this hard all the time in the kitchen? Uh, I think a lot of it is, is I find it fun. I find it exciting. Um, I think ever since this pandemic has started and the restaurant has been closed and, and kind of operating as a takeaway business, we've all had more time to, to try new things, to test new ideas. And right now, more than ever, um, I find what I'm doing super exciting because I have the time to experiment with new ideas and and push myself to try things I've never done before. And previous to that, I mean, that's what I liked doing. I liked learning new things. I liked experimenting and creating ideas that nobody else was doing. So... So that's kind of exciting for me. I mean, you've come, you've been and to the restaurant. You, you mentioned the restaurant. We should. Yeah, we should mention yeah, the restaurant. Yeah, we should tell people what <laughs> restaurant we're talking about. Yeah, we, 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 you know, I haven't mentioned where you are now. I was talking about your, uh, your humble beginnings, which were never really that humble. They were just, uh, you came out of the gate swinging right from, uh, from a young age. But the restaurant uh, that I've told Marco about a number of times too, and I've insisted that he go and, and visit when he's in Calgary, is called The Coup. And The Coup is C. O-U-P. And people might think that's a coupe. It is not. It's a coupe. Well, they're, it's the coupe. they're idiots. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, these the, those people are around too. Those people yeah. are around too. And it's interesting because Mark and I have both uh, been experimenting a lot more with uh, vegetarian food, vegan, plant-based stuff. And uh, I always tell them, I have a friend who was a full-blown meat eater. We've had burgers together and late night di diners in well, Toronto. I think we've had, we've had a lot of spam together too. We've had a lot of spam. But um, but speaking of a guy who takes on a challenge, that's that's pretty challenging as a meat eater to go in and, and run a vegetarian and vegan restaurant. Well, the cool thing about that, um, I think, is that you can be more creative with vegetables. You know, it's interesting, uh, Chef Adam, when I think of Calgary, I think steak. Was it hard to get Albertans away from food that bleeds to food that sprouts? Well, I, I never did that. I, this okay. restaurant's been open for 15 years. Um, it's got a great reputation. I came in, I inherited 
a lot of dishes that we're still cooking at the restaurant today that were created way before I took over the kitchen there. So, uh, so yeah, I, I didn't do anything other than just put my spin on, on vegetables. Is it one of those things where the, where the owner was like, you can do whatever you want in this kitchen, but you need to have these few dishes on the menu all the time. Cause this is what our clientele love, or were you able to revamp the menu completely? Uh, we've kept a lot of the fan favorites still. I've been there, been here just over a year and we're still, some of our, some of our signature dishes are still on the menu, but we've changed things. We're right now more than ever, we're, we're experimenting. We're doing vegan pizzas. Um, I've got this incredible sous chef and she's testing out vegan cheese. We've been making mozzarella. We've been making mac and cheese sauce, all hundred percent plant-based, which is incredible. It's really fun. Um, and then like experimenting with international cuisine, like Jamaican food we did. Do you remember um, Soul Life? My buddy Phil. I remember Phil. Pot. Of course I remember yeah. Phil. Yeah. So he did these power patties that were Jamaican beef patties stuff with like cheese and jerk chicken and lettuce and, and whatever. They're amazing. Hmm. And so we've been doing vegan versions of those at the restaurants, which is super cool. How challenging is it to make a vegan version of something like mozzarella that, you know, the public knows as sort of it's supposed to taste this way. It's supposed to be stringy that way. It's supposed to really have a, a melting property to it. Yeah, it's it's super challenging. And the, the, our newest version, we've been playing with um, different different volumes of tapioca in the recipe to, to change the meltability of the cheese. And I think we've got got a pretty good handle on it now. And, and it melts on our pizzas. It bubbles up. We're baking like margaritas that they're fucking cool, man. They look, they look amazing. Was it, was it challenging for you to go from a restaurant that was meat based to an all vegetarian restaurant as a chef? Uh, it was, I mean, it wasn't challenging in the sense that all food, if you know how to cook, you know how to cook anything, right? Like food, right. if the cooking fundamentals are the same, regardless of where you work or what you're cooking, um, looking at ingredients in a different way is kind of the challenge. And, and the biggest thing for me, I think was, um, protein substitutes, because right. when you're cooking vegetarian food, you don't, if you don't have the right amount of protein, you don't feel as full after eating it. Right. But is there an inherent challenge to make a vegetarian dish oat? Like, would it be easier to make a meat-based dish fancy and, 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 you know, attractive? Is it, is it much more difficult to do that with vegetarian cuisine? No, I think it's easier. Oh, really? Um, I think vegetables are brighter. They have more colors. They, you, you use more herbs, you use more flowers, and you can manipulate vegetables a lot more than you can manipulate meat. Like, what are you going to do with a beef tenderloin or a chicken wing other than deep fry it or grind it up, right? right? And look at a piece of asparagus. You can pickle it. You can grate it. You can poach it. You can deep fry it. You can grill it. You can ferment it. You can puree it. You're not going to puree a piece of beef tenderloin, right? Would you, you might, you might hear that. <laughs> You're exactly the type of guy who would do that. Would you go back to meat uh, at some point? Is that, uh, I think we're jumping ahead to like your future plans, but uh, what I really want to know is have you found sort of a comfort there? Because those are some pretty compelling arguments that vegetables can be man manip manipulated and come, you know, already so colorful and presentable. Um, do you, uh, you would go back to a, would you do like a barbecue restaurant that was all meat and stuff like that? Would you? Would you? Uh, I it's it wouldn't be in my immediate plans. I'm not really against any type of cuisine, to be honest with you. Or I'm I'm pretty open to everything. Um, mm -hmm. I think that your consumers, 
essentially dictate what you serve at the end of the day. And and we've got a good fan base right now doing vegetable uh, or vegetarian cuisine. And I think that trend is going to grow moving forward. All right, Chef Adam, you have a dish called crispy maple leaf. Now, I've been a Canadian all my life, and I I had no idea you could actually eat a maple leaf. Can you tell us about this particular dish? Yeah, so um, I don't know if you're familiar with Caledon at all. Yeah, of course. But, so there's a cidery there called Spirit Tree, and it's um, it's a farm. There's there's a an active orchard, multiple varietals of apples growing there, multiple types of cider being produced on the property. And so we were discussing the idea of deep frying apple leaves as a dish on the menu. And after a little bit of research, they, uh, they contain a lot of cyanide after okay. actually, after actually <laughs> con- consuming dozens of them too. <laughs> um, uh, and so we just looked into the cyanide in apple seeds, the cyanide in, in apple leaves, according to our friend, uh, Wikipedia anyway. You've and never made a batch for Ali, have you? No. Well, oh. they would explain a lot if I had. Still but, standing, um, bud. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, so we had a little, uh, sugar maple tree out back at the restaurant. So we started, uh, deep frying those. And at the end of the day, a maple leaf doesn't taste like a lot. It's, um, it's a little bitter near the end of the season when they ripen, they're, uh, like, uh, mid fall, they're a little sweeter, but the green ones are super bitter. Okay. Uh, so what we did is we made like, uh, like a beer batter you'd have on fish and chips for fish and chips, but with cider because we were a cidery and, uh, we'd slather them in like a maple syrup, mayo and pickled or uh, candied peanuts and like some kind of pickle or pulled pork. And, and we use it almost like, like you'd have like a bruschetta with some toppings on it or, right. or a Yorkshire pudding is there just like soak up your gravy when you're eating prime rib, right? It's a vessel for flavor at the end of the day, but sure. it just, it looks cool. It's a, it's a gimmick. It's a talking point. And I like to use that when we do events because it's, it's, it's cheap, it's easy. You go pick some maple leaves. However, a funny story about that is when I moved to Calgary last year, we were doing a, uh, a cocktail event and I'm like, oh, let's do this, this maple leaf dish I do. It's, it's cheap. It's easy. It looks cool. People talk about it. And, uh, I said to Dahlia who owned the restaurant at the time, like, can we go pick some maple leaves sometime? And she's like, there's no maple trees in, in Alberta. Um, which, (laughs) did you know that? No, no. Yeah. So there's like, there's no maple syrup being produced here. There's no maple trees to be seen. There's just this magpies everywhere, which I've never seen before flying around pecking at you, but, uh, no maple trees. So, uh, I had a friend go into Trinity Bellwoods park (laughs) (laughs) pre pre COVID obviously. Pre COVID. Now (laughs) infamous. Now infamous. (laughs) And so, uh, she shipped me overnight a couple hundred maple leaves. Uh, so I could do them for this event. Just tore them off the trees in the park. Yeah. Yeah. She said, she's like, people are looking at me strange. And, and I said, if anyone asks you what you're doing, say it's for a school project. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) School of life. Yeah. You know, I was going to ask something earlier. Uh, Marco and I were reflecting on something as we were talking about Southern food. We were, uh, we were both looking at your, uh, your Instagram. Adam Eat World is your Instagram. The Koo Calgary is, uh, is the restaurant uh, Instagram site. But they, they, there's got an overlap between the two of them. You made an incredible uh, barbecue vegan platter. Uh, can you describe that a little bit? And I want to ask you some questions about, uh, around that. Because you had sent me a picture of you sort of slathering 
uh, barbecue sauce on some vegan ribs? What goes in to, to a barbecue platter? Right. So do you remember, did, did you ever go to that barbecue restaurant down the street from the, the coup when you were in town? Uh, I, I can't remember if we went there for, no. for late night meets. Anyway, we, we went to the Hawaiian place. Yeah. The, the, spam. Yeah. Was, we ate spam and, and uh, beef tongue, I believe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> after, after loading up on vegetables, you needed your, uh, your, some beef tongue in your mouth. Yeah, well, you told me it was great and it, it really was. Uh, yeah. So there's a, there's a barbecue joint down the street and they do the like American barbecue, obviously like ribs and pulled pork and, and brisket and cornbread Yum. and all that. And all, yeah, it's, it's great. And so, so I, since, since we've been closed, I've been trying to do, like I said, the Jamaican stuff and we've been doing pizzas and I've just been, we made some pierogies last week. They're, they're going on the menu shortly, but, uh, I thought inspired by the barbecue joint, we would do what they're doing, but veganize it all. Right. So the ribs, the ribs are made with like caramelized carrots that are, that are grown in Alberta. So we slowly roast them in the oven and we make what's similar to a seitan dough, which is a gluten heavy, uh, meat substitute. So we add uh, wheat, uh, vital wheat, gluten flour to the roasted carrots and we grate them and we make this batter and then form them into ribs and season them. And then we roast them and braise them the same way you would, uh, like a pork rib. Wow. And then, and then instead of pulled pork, we're shredding spaghetti squash to mimic that, that texture. And, and we're adding barbecue sauce to it. And we've smoked some crab apples last September when they were in season and, and froze them. So we've had them all year round. And we have this smoked crab apple barbecue sauce. Uh, we made a sausage out of lentils, a vegan sausage, which I'm quite happy with. And then um, in place of the brisket, we we roasted some cauliflower and smoked it and then sliced it up. Um, it doesn't look like a like a brisket would, but it's we tried to mimic those flavors and that texture using cauliflower. Uh, which is it's it's really cool. It's a lot of fun to just look at a vegetable and and trans transform it into something people are unfamiliar with in the vegetarian world and vegan cornbread I saw was on that platter as well. Yeah. So, so it's actually the restaurant you were talking about in Orangeville, 199, which you yes. uh, ate at years ago. We had uh, that cornbread recipe. It's got pickled jalapenos and Monterey Jack and cheddar in it. And we used to serve that with lamb ribs and Brussels sprout coleslaw. I had it. it was, I had it you, actually. Did you, yeah, yeah. Did you you that to us. That was one of so the, that's the same. Yeah. So that's the same exact same cornbread recipe, but instead of the eggs, we're using the uh, the water from uh, canned chickpeas, the aquafaba, and so oh, that's yeah. a replacement for eggs. And then instead of butter, we're using Earth Balance uh, soy-free margarine. And then in place of the cheese, we've made a vegan cheddar cheese using cashews and bell peppers and pickled jalapenos and nutritional yeast. And so we cook that down and we add a little uh, like plant bite, plant-based gelatin like agar or iota. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gives it the texture of the cheese. And so we grated that and put that in the cornbread recipe. So it's, we're taking recipes that I've used or people have used for years and this is nothing new. We're not doing anything new, but we're, we're figuring out ways at the restaurant to, to veganize them and, and, and work on making it just as tasty, if not tastier using plant-based material. Sounds is, exciting. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. Do it gets the get- uh, creative juices flowing. Do you get, have you gotten any, um, and this is, I'm not trying to put, uh, you know, b- b- push vegans into some, some, some dirty corner here, but have you gotten, oh, any- here we go. That's <laughs> the question. It's just a question. Uh, because my mind would go the opposite, but I'm wondering if you get anybody, um, sort of questioning your, you know, street cred, 
as a person who is not passionately vegan and, and has, does not have that, uh, you know, whatever decades experience in making uh, vegan and vegetarian food. No, and that that's not a conversation that's ever really come up. Oh, good. Um, a lot of our staff um, live that lifestyle and they work with us or for us because of, of those beliefs and their, and their, their lifestyle. Right. Which is, I think great. It's, it makes them more passionate about what we're doing and what we're trying to accomplish. I, I, my thoughts go to this, that, you know, from years and years ago, you remember when Eve, that, that brand Eve first had like veggie patties and Eve's veggie burgers in Quebec. And we had friends who were vegetarian and they would be like, this tastes exactly like a burger. <laughs> and then you would taste it and be like, it absolutely 100% doesn't. It tastes a lot like sawdust and, uh, and, and maybe some like wheat germ or something. And that's, that's about it. But if you are a meat eater and you say, I have replicated something that, ta- that, that really does taste like something, I feel like that's, that's even more street cred. I think I would, I would feel even more comfortable in the hands of a meat eater who's making vegan and vegetarian food. Right. It's, it's, I mean, it's hard because it depends on what you're doing. Like cauliflower wings are not the same as chicken wings. And that's, right. that's a go-to for a lot of restaurants, right? And like, I, I just don't see, I mean, you're calling it that because you're slathering it in hot sauce and, and deep frying it, but you're, you're not replacing a chicken wing. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think like the Beyond Beef Burger, for example, is trying to replace uh, beef at the end of the day, right? Yeah. 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 I wanted to ask you, so is there a season that's harder for you to uh, cook vegetarian cuisine? Like, do you go like, fuck, winter's coming. I don't have the answer. Is this a Game of Thrones episode? Well, yeah, a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Someone's not going to survive by the end of this one. Uh, Well, that's, that's, I mean, that's a good question. And winter is a, is a good um, example. Nothing, nothing's really growing in the winter time, but there's a lot of salad root vegetables, right? We've got all our squash and potatoes and all the onions the farmers have cured over the last few months are in cellars. Uh, so this past winter, we've been cooking with a lot of rutabagas, a lot of celery sure. roots, um, things like that, sunchokes. But you're as far as like fresh herbs and fresh, like I think this like spring is the most exciting time. You've got rhubarb, you've got your asparagus, your wild mushrooms, your wild leeks, peas, things like that. Summer berries will be up soon. Yeah. I think fall would be an interesting time too. I know that um, in particular fall in Italy, you get a uh, different sort of rich, rich vegetables and rich mushrooms and whatnot come, come to light. You worked in Italy, right? Yeah, I did. Um, I worked at a, for a company that did a little bit of an exchange. So they sent me to Italy for two weeks and the chef from there came to Ontario for two weeks. Where do they so, send you? This is I where I'm going to just, I'm going to talk right. and Ali's just going to sit back and <laughs> sip his, his, sip his so I, was, I was in a town in Chianti called uh, Fontarutoli. Okay. And it's uh, uh right. It's just outside of a, the biggest town near it's called Castellina in Chianti. Yes. Um, about an hour from uh, Florence. So uh, it's a winery, 40 person population town. I believe Beautiful. this is, this is <laughs> 10 years ago now, uh, but it, it was great. I stayed in this little villa uh, I worked in the restaurant, um, Osteria de Fontarutoli. It was simple Tuscan cuisine, like grilled, like bistecca fiorentinas and yes. guinea fowl and simple ragu pastas and risottos and things like that. Chignales and wild boar. Yeah. Yeah. So, we had okay, a wild, so boar, you, wild boar ragu. You're in a 
highly prized wine region of Italy. This brings me to a question for you with regards to vegetarian cuisine. What is a wine? Because you're also sommelier, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I did the quartermaster's certified sommelier. Amazing. Uh, what is a good wine to pair if you're having vegetarian cuisine? Well, it, I, it comes down to the to the dish at the end of the day, and I think okay. the rules the rules are the same for if you're if you're talking meat, if you're talking vegetables. I think there's two two rules to live by when it comes to food and wine pairing. Number one is play off flavor profiles. Obviously, uh, when you're when you think about high acid wines, you want fatty, crispy foods. It's the same reason you get a a lemon wedge with your fish and chips, right? Sure. Um, so that's that's one way you can look at it. But my general rule is eat what you like to eat and drink what you like to drink. Nice. Um, you don't need to have a high acid white wine with like your beer battered calamari. If you like, if you want a uh, high alcohol cab from California and that's what you want to drink that day and you want to eat deep fried calamari, then don't let someone else tell you you can't do that. Go for he's, it. He's speaking our language, Marco, huh? As yeah, we push the food it. snobbery out, this is exactly oh, the way we feel. Drink it out of a paper cup for fuck's sakes. Who cares? <laughs> well, I don't know if I'd go that far. <laughs> okay, let me ask you this then. Uh, sorry, Ellie, can I? Um, of course, of course. You, we have listeners from all over the world, and we've been talking a lot about Canadian cuisine. Is there something Canadian chefs or cooks do that uh, maybe other chefs you have en- encountered in the world don't do or that we do differently? Uh, I'm not sure about that. I think that a lot of our kitchens um, would be the same as American kitchens, very North American, um, uh, the way they're set up, the way they're operated. I think that there are specific things that are very Canadian when it comes to ingredients, uh, when it comes to dishes. Okay. Like uh, what? Well, I would say a lot of that comes down to like Quebecois food. There's a lot of iconic dishes that are known across the country that come from Quebec, like, um, obviously like tortilla or poutine or like tarte au sucre or like pudding chumere. Um, those things all scream Canadian food to me, but it's very regional. Sure. Uh, perch is a very Canadian ingredient that I don't see in, on menus in other parts of the world, specifically to Ontario. Um, and probably fiddleheads, no, I imagine fiddleheads, I think, uh, grow all over North America as well, but for sure right now, this time of year is everyone's out picking fiddleheads. And if you look at Instagram, you see everyone holding wild leeks and fiddleheads and morel mushrooms in their hands. It's, uh. Now, especially with this this COVID stuff happening, right? And what are people to do other than go pick some pick some leaks? <laughs> go pick a leak. Yeah, or take Sounds a leak. Like a, yeah, take a leak. <laughs> Sounds like a go uh, take a take a long walk off a short bridge. Yeah, um, but Canadian salmon's great. Canadian oysters are great. But those things those things are found all over the world. I think that we have great ingredients here that that we don't need to be buying uh, like Australian oysters, right? Although I'm just going to put this on record, Pacific oysters are just garbage. Anyway, um, that's a, that's, for a, that's a whole other uh, podcast episode. But every time I go to BC, every time I'm in Vancouver and I eat oysters, these fat, plump, juicy oysters like it's like a gross fat. It's gross plump. I'm not a fan. Anyway, not important. <laughs> I want to take you back to something, uh, Adam, that you did many years ago. And I remember you talking to me about that experience. And that was that you were a contestant, if that's the right word, on Chopped Canada. That is and, true. And the experience wasn't um, 
Well, let me just say that you were very young in the in the food industry, and this was your first exposure to something on television. Can you can you sort of paint a picture of what that experience was like? Marco has some opinions about oh, Chop opinion. Canada to share after you paint your own picture. Well, that was that was eight years ago now, I think. Yeah, um, and I think that there's a couple things that that about that experience that stick out in my mind. But one of the funny ones is, and this is, I guess, inconsequential, but um, you film this episode and you say a lot of things, you do a lot of things. It's, it, it's, it's a whirlwind that the, the filming process, but you've got to wait a, a year to see it. And so this year you're sitting there like thinking about everything you said and everything you did and wondering how it's going to be edited and how you're going to be portrayed on this, on this episode. And then a year goes by and, and maybe you've started to forget about some of those things or what happened. And then bam, there it is. And you're not even the person you were who they kept yeah. on television. <laughs> yeah. It's terrible. I remember you telling me they were like, um, okay, so we're going to say, we're going to introduce you. So do something crazy, like take the salt and pepper shakers and spin yeah. them around. It was, a, it was a baseball bat. And and, and the, the quote that you're referring to was, and I remember embarrassingly, <laughs> I embarrassingly said, I can't do this. And the, the woman directing that was like, you signed up for this, man. <laughs> You know, I have a problem with Here Chop Canada. I'm sorry to You're not interrupt. even going to let Adam finish his experience. No, I love it. No, Get listen, in there. No, Adam, it's Chef fine. Adam, continue. We I don't, don't need to talk. To... This is this is eight years ago. We don't need to talk about it. You, I just want to say it. this. Yeah. I, I love Chopped. I love the American Chopped. I think they re- do it really well. I think Ted Allen really uh, takes control of the situation well. I feel like the judges there are great. For me, Chopped Canada is, if you, is as if you took a great concept like chopped and then dipped it in a toilet bowl full of diarrhea and then brought it forward. It lacks so much. It lacks the spirit of the original. I feel like the judges are boring as a two by four. And I feel like the chefs on the uh, chopped Canada don't have the same sort of access to all the ingredients and all the products and all the accoutrements that the chefs on chopped the American series have. So I always would watch and think to myself, you're really doing a disservice to our Canadian chefs on this show. And you're not featuring them the same way that the chefs on the American version get featured. And that really pissed me off. That's my, did you, uh, did you not like it? I, are you talking to me? (laughs) No, (laughs) after all that, after all that negative, 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 but, uh, but how did you feel about it? (laughs) I I, I mean, I don't, I I've seen episodes of the American show, but I've never, um, Notice that comparison personally, because maybe I just haven't seen enough episodes of both to to comment. Okay, fair enough. Like, did you have access to an anti griddle? Did you have access? There was to an a... anti griddle actually. Oh, there was. All right, all right. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe people, maybe the the Canadian chefs just haven't been using it. But it was there was a there was an anti griddle for sure. Tell people okay. what an anti griddle is. What do you do with the anti griddle? Uh, you put your auntie on it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> burn, auntie, uh, burn. It's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's the opposite of a regular grill, but so it freezes essentially. So I think it, it's maybe like minus thirty Celsius yeah. on the flat top, and you can put purees on there, and they get crispy on the outside and stay creamy on the inside, just uh, because of the freezing temperature, right? Right. Okay. But they're cool. They're cool. I mean, you'd have to have a very specific. Uh, dish in mind to, to justify buying one sure but i have one in my bedroom so, uh, i <laughs> i actually cool own an anti-griddle 
Cool things down, my friend. After cool things, things get super hot in there, huh? Mar- uh, well, Adam, let me ask you this. What would you, um, if, if Chop came knocking today, eight years is a lifetime for a guy like you who's, who's changed so many things about himself, about his, uh, you know, restaurant experience, your locations have changed, your, you know, what you're passionate about probably in, in, as far as ingredients go change year to year. What, uh, what would you have done differently? What would you do differently if Chop came knocking today or would you even be interested? I, I mean, I'd still be interested. We still, I still do events. I still do competitions whenever, whenever I get the chance. So I think that, um, I think I would still, I would do it again for sure. It's, it's fun to push yourself, right? Yeah. What's your uh, sec- Sorry, go ahead. What's your secret weapon in competition? What's your signature, uh, let's say? I think that I'm, I'm, well, I don't know about my signature, but I think that my secret weapon, um, I just, I'm really quick at thinking on my feet. Um, and when we do tasting menus at the restaurants, we usually plan them the day before. It's not like it's weeks of developing ideas or developing recipes. I just kind of buy what's in season, what's available. And we just plan it when the, when the product comes in and, and play around with new ideas. There's no, uh, there's no, there's no test kitchen at the restaurant. That's great. I feel like I developed that skill, but I developed that skill uh, drunk in people's homes and then looking in their fridge and just being like, we're going to make this, this and this. And then they'd be like, where did you find that? I'm like in the back of your fridge. I have those. (laughs) It's expired, but yeah, maybe it's expired, (laughs) but uh, everybody's drinking and enjoying themselves. And then uh, Ali Hassan got a good reputation. That's the, the best way to cook, to, man. Yeah, exactly. It's the, best way to, it's the best way to come up with ideas too. You have on a, the fly for sure. Glass of bourbon and and <laughs> look in the pantry. Yeah, yeah. This is a great episode for making me hungry. Actually, yeah. Um, I'm gonna just go outside and eat off the tree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a good vegetarian boy, yeah. huh? Find a maple uh, and squeeze whatever you can out of it. I'm gonna go to Trinity Bellwoods and just chomp like a giraffe. <laughs> I, I think I feel like you're not allowed word. to go to Trinity Bellwoods right now. No, it really feels like it's become a dirty word. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Chef Adam, can I ask yeah. you this? How can you tell if a restaurant knows what it's doing? If you sit in a restaurant you've never been, at what point do you as a chef know if this restaurant knows what they're doing? I think when the food arrives. Um, so you, so it's easy, menu it's, won't tell you? Menu won't tell you? Okay. You could make, you could, you could be great at writing menus. You could be, you could have the person that writes the menu isn't the one necessarily cooking the menu either, right? Fair. Uh, and the server talking to you about the menu isn't the one cooking the food either. So I think the the telltale telltale point is when you get your food, is it is it good? Do you enjoy it? And that's what dining is all about. I think it's about socializing. It's about trying new things. It's about having fun, and. I think that the only part of dining that's about convenience is those fast food joints that seem to be the most popular restaurants in the world. If you can call them restaurants. Yeah. Well, well, some people would disagree, right? You, you have tons of people who are like, I know a restaurant is any good if my water was refilled. If, uh, you know, if um, something else was paid attention to when I came in, was my table ready? Was, you know, was the candle lit? Was the plate warm? So this is people have all these sort of um, judging criteria before the fork even hits the uh, the 
the plate. And I think Marco, you might be one I'm of like those that. guys. Yeah. I am like that. Like, so for yeah. example, I looked at your menu at the coup and I immediately thought to myself, there was two things on that menu that said to me, that screamed to me, they know what they're doing. One for me is that I love that you don't ignore desserts. Yeah. So, so many restaurants will import desserts and not make them in house or not feature the dessert that complements the rest of their menu. I don't need a ton of desserts on my menu. Give me one or two that you make in house. And I already know that you care about me as a diner, that you're not farming out a cheesecake from this place, or like you're, you're putting 15 different desserts on there. None of which you make in house. Right. So I think that I, I say this a lot and every restaurant can't be everything to everyone. Um, and so, okay, Marco, this, okay, Marco, no, did you hear no, that? No, they no, gotta no. be something to me, man. When I'm <laughs> in there, think, when I'm spending my money. You got to speak to me. But to, to your point earlier, I want to say this. I, I have a story about a restaurant in London. I went to, um, a decade ago, I suppose. London, Just England that, or London, no, Ontario, yeah, uh, England. Okay. No one knows where London, Ontario is. <laughs> send <laughs> your letters. If you're in London <laughs> or Windsor <laughs> corridor, send your letter, letters to chef Adam. Uh, address to follow. Uh, so uh, I was at this restaurant and the person at the table next to me was complaining about their food because it was tepid. And the server was explaining that the chef there, whatever they do, fried, baked, roasted, they, they let it come back to room temperature before they plate it. And the reason is he wants all the garnishes to be the same temperature. So your herbs aren't wilting. So your whatever isn't happening. And, and I think that's a really interesting idea, but to your point, if you went into a restaurant and your fish was room temperature, you'd be like, they don't know what, what they're doing. Right. Right. Who are, who are these guys? They can't even serve me a hot piece of pickerel or mackerel or whatever it was. Mm. Uh, so, so I guess what I'm trying to say is if you enjoy the food, you enjoy the food and that's how, you know, if they know what they're doing because they're making you happy. Yes. But you know what? I want to be offered more than just food. I want a bit of experience too when I go to, to, to my restaurant, especially if I'm going to a higher end restaurant. So for example, I look at your menu and I see that you guys serve a shrub, almost like an aperitivo at the coup. And to me already, that speaks to me. I'm like, what is this? I can't wait to try it. They're doing something different and they're offering me an experience that I don't get elsewhere. Right. That's a, that's a good point. And I mean, the restaurant in Orangeville, 199, we did uh, like an amuse-bouche for everyone that came in. And we serve meanerties at the end of the di- at the end of the dinner, whether it's a piece of chocolate or a little cookie, and that leaves a lasting impression on people. Yeah, it's not about it's not about getting people in the doors. It's it's more about retention, and people will come back because you went that extra step for them, right? And actually, on that note, and I don't know if this is a, a final note, but we're getting to sort of forty five minutes. But uh, I think this is kind of a nice nice story here. We're all. You know, our heart goes out to to uh, frontline workers, obviously, but also to the restaurant industry. Marco and I can't say enough how much we feel for people who are heading up restaurants and to put their life savings in restaurants. And uh, Adam, you told me something that was, was a bit surprising, but but pretty made me pretty happy. Things are going pretty well at the coup right now in the sense that people are coming and ordering takeout. And it's um, it's quite a lot of business that you're doing. You're busy. Six days. Yeah, in. it's great. I mean, we're we're doing. Uh, we've shifted everything to hundred percent takeaway, um, and the like. March was a little slower. I think when when everything kind of started up, and everything started closing down. But 
we're progressively getting busier and busier and busier. And it's amazing. Like people, people are supporting us. I think there's a mix between people coming out just to make sure that we're okay. And, and they're supporting us even though they don't need to mm. uh, just be or not that they don't need to, but they just could cook at home, but they're like, Hey, we want to make sure you guys are open in three months from now. So we're going to come in and order some food. And then the other, the other percentage is people are still just want food from us and like our food and like what we're doing and want to come in and eat. Now your food to me doesn't scream takeout, right? There's that presentation that's so huge and you know, those, those microgreens and the flowers that you use, have you had to really uh, make it sort of a bare bones menu and, and focus on stuff that really takes out really well, or are you just changing things around to make uh, everything takeout friendly? Uh, that's it's it's funny because no we haven't and we were serving an omelet we still are serving an omelet and and we're doing eggs benedict to go and we get orders for an eggs benedict at 8 p.m and i don't know who's ordering doordash (laughs) or delivered eggs benedict at 8 p.m but thanks thanks for the support i guess (laughs) eggs for dinner i mean that's somebody who could be waking up at 7 p.m right so it's breakfast time so yeah, we've. I mean, we have stuff that's really well suited to to go. I think that other than pizza, like, what do you really want to have delivered to your house from a from a DoorDash driver? Like, not most food doesn't transport well, man. Soup, soup and pizza. Like what? <laughs> like, do you do you do you order a lot of uh, uh, takeaway delivered to your house? I actually don't. Neither do I. I. Yeah, and pizza's maybe the only thing. And even that not that not not too often. Swiss chalet, maybe. Maybe, I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so I, I can't, you know, people love Swiss chalet. I I, I know I I you know, I'm gonna be in a very ugly territory here, but I don't like dipping my chicken in uh in in a sauce that tastes like a brown Crayola crayon that was melted. So I that's Which not you, my you, thing. You prefer it pre dipped. I prefer the Jamaican stuff you're talking about. I'm talking, I, I feel like something that's going to light my, my face on fire. Really like a, a crazy jerked chicken is, is, is okay. I like it. Can I tell you someone, someone ordered from us yesterday yeah. and on the, on the phone, they said they ordered a spicy almond satay bowl and they said, uh, can you ask the chef to make it uh brown person spicy? Yeah, <laughs> that's good. That's good. That's what we do. That's what us brown people do. We uh, we think we're the we're the gold standard for spicy. And next thing you know, a Mexican person or a Jamaican or somebody Thai comes along and puts us in our place. But anyway, I would tell you that if you got ten on ten heat, which I know you do because you're huge into uh, hot peppers, it really just means a six and a half to seven and a half heat. It doesn't mean yeah. ten on ten. This is not. Yeah, we 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 fool ourselves into believing we can really handle the heat, but we cannot. <laughs> you don't have Speak to say to yourself, that directly I'm to not- your customers. <laughs> yeah, well, there's barely a brown thing about you right now, Marco. But fair enough. Listen, I when I ask for heat, I always say, "Could I have a two on the Scoville scale?" So that's uh, how two. I. Do it. <laughs> so here's a green bell pepper. <laughs> I, I want to mention if our listeners are are like starving for food after all this conversation you can check out what chef adam does at the coop calgary on social media or go to the coop.ca and you can see the menu and uh and explore what the creations that you make and uh, adam eat world is your instagram handle your travels have been very interesting you know you're in jamaica you're in mexico and then you're in iceland 
which I would not. Uh, Nunavut. 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 Were you? I thought you were in Reykjavik on. at one point. Oh, maybe for a layover. For yeah. a layover. Yeah. Okay. It was a layover. Oh, yeah. But well. but it made it made it to the gram somehow. Yeah. Yeah, whatever, whatever <laughs> content you can pull out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you uh, you've been all the uh, all across the world in search of uh, great food, and uh, it's a great Instagram, uh, great Instagram handle. So uh, check it out, Adam. Thanks for spending some time with us on your day off. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chef Adam. It was a pleasure. It was, it was. If you are in Calgary, head to the coup uh, uh, whenever you can, and if you're visiting Calgary, uh, please definitely do the same. Calgary is such a great food town. Wouldn't you agree, Ali? I love going to Calgary. The the restaurants there, the food, the people, they know how to eat. And I always have a great time. And have, you, uh, have you been to the strip clubs here? No. Is the food good there? Uh, it's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to, trying to upsell Calgary on you. <laughs> we were already sold, buddy. We were already sold. You don't need to upsell us. All right. Thank you very much, uh, Marco, Adam. It's been lovely uh, until we eat and drink again. We hope you got your fill of eat and drink with Ali Hassan and Marco Timpano. Follow them on Instagram and Twitter at Podcast Eat Drink. Email them your cocktail and food suggestions to podcasteatdrink at gmail.com. Until the next episode, bottoms up. Bottoms up.